0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com, and thanks for joining us for another Thursday evening of political talk. Great show coming up for you. We're going to delve back into a couple different issues. Number one, circumcision issue, I know it's an issue that not a lot of people feel comfortable talking about, but there is so much politics, so much interesting stuff Around that issue, we have Dan Goldberg of Capital New York on. We have progressive pundit Fox News guest syndicated talk show host Chris Hahn talking about the presidential race, particularly the Hillary rollout and potential threat from the left to Hillary. And this is Spin Class, and we're talking politics. I so want to delve back into an issue that we kind of put on the shelf a little while ago, but every so often it percolates within the political firmaments, particularly in New York City. It's kind of a New York specific issue, uh, but we have, as always, we gather experts who cover this intently. And Dan Goldberg joins us once again. He is a uh, New York City based reporter for Capital New York, which is the sister publication of Politico, and it, it he also covers healthcare and has a daily healthcare beat where he sends out an email on healthcare related issues on a, on a daily basis. Dan, welcome back to Spin Class. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's uh, go back for a second. Uh, A couple months ago we talked about, we talked about Matisse Beppe and we talked about the issue of uh, the circumcision practice and how New York, uh, uh, New York City is now uh, under the de blasio administration is looking to revamp its policies, change its policies, and in order to do so, they have to go through a number of interesting steps, uh, almost a, an interesting dance, if you will uh, that and balance competing ish interests i think with the, within the healthcare sector within let 's say the more liberal sector, and then uh, balancing the interests of the Orthodox and Hasidic community uh, as far as that so Give us an idea about what is going on now. Most of the audience probably thinks this issue was put to bed because there was a deal that was made, but that deal is not done yet, correct? That's correct.
1: So from the city side, what needed to happen was the Board of Health, uh, which is made up of mayoral appointees, needed to repeal the policy that required a consent form be signed by parents uh, before Matita was performed. To repeal uh, a Board of Health regulation... The board must propose it uh, for public comment. Public comments have to be made and then heard, and then the board votes uh, uh, as a final vote on whether to repeal or not. That vote is expected to take place sometime in September. Uh, last week, the board opened it up for public comment.
0: So, give us an, uh, an understanding, I guess, of the, the public health board. Okay, who are these people? Has is the deck stacked in the public health board? Because the public health board beforehand under Bloomberg, had restricted or attempted to restrict, or I'm sorry, adopted this consent form for this circumcision practice for uh, the oral suction matits pet practice, and now they're going to change that policy. It's not so easy to get health professionals or whoever is on this board to just change their mind all of a sudden like that.
1: Right, that, that's exactly right. So there's two things to keep in mind. One, the board over the last six months turned over quite a, uh, substantially. Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, appointed four new members over, uh, this past, over the last six months, and that gave him a majority of appointees on the board, which had been obviously filled with uh, Bloomberg appointees. And then even some of the Bloomberg appointees, um, specifically Pam Breyer, who's the CEO of Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, uh, acknowledged that the policy that they had put in place, the consent forms, didn't work. They said it was a good faith effort to, to try and alert people to what they believe were the public health dangers of uh, oral suction, but uh, it, it created more strife and headache than it was worth, and they said we have to look at this policy anew, so we're going to repeal it, uh, or at least vote to open it for public comment, uh, and then decide whether or not to repeal.
0: Okay, so what you're saying, and what, or what I'm hearing, So not, as not to misinterpret what you're saying, is that the deal that was done, or the deal that goes back maybe even to the de Blasio campaign, and some say there was a deal in place with the Orthodox community before the Democratic primary, uh, a, a de Blasio, that deal is not done yet. Don't count the deal yet. Although, is, is it fair to say possibly the fix is in?
1: Well, the most important thing to remember, and I can't stress this enough, is that the deal, such as it is, rests on a handshake. There's no statute, there's no regulation, there's going to be a trust between the de Blasio administration and the Orthodox community. Uh, what Bill de Blasio announced earlier this year was that the Orthodox community would uh, uh, point out which moel's performed circumcisions on babies that came down, if they came down, with uh herpes, um, which the health department believes to be linked to the oral suction practice. If the uh, if the, the herpes virus tested on the baby, it was a genetic match to the moyle, that moil was supposed to be banned for life and it was all going to be done through the community. Uh, that was their promise and pledge in exchange for repealing these consent forms. But that deal in and of itself is just the word-of-mouth agreement uh, between the administration and the community. So it's never really done, and it certainly won't uh, exist beyond the the tenure of this particular mayor, or, for that matter, the tenure of the leaders of the Orthodox community who made this deal. It's not etched in any kind of stone.
0: So the handshake agreements are, are usually pretty good politically, right, So. If a campaign or a candidate makes a promise and they say we're going to do this, yes, not all the politicians keep their promises. But essentially what you're saying is that de Blasio has the power, I think, through his appointees to make this happen. Yes, they have to go through a process. They have to go through a legal process. There are hearings that have to to be done, but his people are going to – Go through the motions, and not to belittle the process uh, or belittle the people. I'm not. I'm not familiar with them. Uh, they're going to go ahead and implement what the mayor does, as do many mayoral appointees or gubernatorial appointees elsewhere. This is kind of no different than Governor Cuomo appointing people to the MTA board and them doing the, uh, them doing his bidding, or the Port Authority board. And oh, the exactly, way.
1: this is his. This is de Blasio's Board of Health. I mean, that's that's part of what you elect a mayor to do, is put appointees on various boards. And there is certainly every reason to expect that they will follow through on his wishes. Um, and his commissioner of health, who, whom he appointed, Mary Bassett, Dr. Mary Bassett, also supports this policy of repealing the consent form. So there is certainly every reason to expect that when they meet again in September, uh, they will vote to repeal the consent form.
0: Okay, now there's some discontent on both sides with regard to this deal, or at least I was reported, whether you reported some, uh, the New York Times reported some, as far as some discontent, and uh, clearly any compromise, you have people on each side being unhappy, but it seems that there's discontent from the medical professionals, and there's some discontent from the Hasidic community on this compromise, on this deal.
2: Yes, there's a
1: basic disagreement, which is the health department says that putting Someone's mouth on an open wound, wherever it is, whether it's on your finger or you know uh, on the circumcision site, is an unsafe, unsanitary practice. It is particularly dangerous with infants whose immune systems are obviously weaker. The many, not all, but many in the Orthodox community uh, who practice the pizza the test do not believe there is any link or any scientific proof of a link between the transmission of herpes and the practice of metastasis of So the health department's insistence uh, on that link and their suggestion through pamphlets and literature that they hand out uh, on there being a link is still cause for some discontent uh, among some in the Orthodox community. On the flip side, there are certain physicians who are convinced there is a link who believe that any uh, allowance for... What can be seen is backing away from uh, the Bloomberg policy is putting babies' lives in danger, and are therefore also upset with this compromise.
0: And we're talking to Dan Goldberg here on Spin Class. Dan, a healthcare reporter, covers and New York City politics reporter for Capital New York, and we're delving inside the politics or the issue of Mitzvah which has been an ongoing or the regulation, quote unquote. Of Papad was an ongoing issue, uh, for at this point, uh, seven, eight, uh, nine years, I think going back, um, uh, maybe even longer, uh, in New York City. Uh, so Dan, let's just focus for a second on the, uh, on the idea that a policy that is deemed medically sound and scientifically sound, and not not to push anything because I think I agree with the idea that this is unworkable. But they, it's 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 proposed by a healthcare policy board, and then they decide it's unworkable. Like, oh well, we can't do it. Um, is that was this a function of the court? Was this a function of just political expediency? And where where does that leave? The mayor, given his – the tension politically between some on his left that might be more or – and I'm not sure if this is a left-right issue, but I'm just uh, suggesting that some might say, how can you capitulate to uh, this uh, type of uh, traditional practice when science is incontrovertible? It's like climate change. You can't deny it.
1: Right. So I, uh, among others, have asked a very similar question of the health department and the mayor. And their response is, and I, I'm paraphrasing, not, not to put any direct quotes in their mouth, uh, their response is, look, we want to have a, a relationship with this community so that we can alert them to the dangers of this practice, so that we can tell them it's probably not safe, we don't recommend you do it. The consent forms have become a barrier to any discussion, for education and therefore if you want to discuss this and talk about education and encourage a safer uh... uh, britney law you have to take away the consent forms removing that barrier and allow some form of dialogue between the city health department and the orthodox community and until you did that you were sort of just running up into a wall so even if the health department believes And and they do, that this is, there's a link between HSV uh, and the pizza of a pet. It doesn't do any good if you can't engage in a conversation. That's their rationale and their line of thinking.
0: So essentially, deal with the public health issue that we might admit that something is a risky practice, although that is a point of disagreement. Deal with that public health issue and let's not Deal in a way that's practical instead of instead of trying to go ahead and get to what I guess what a health professional or the medical profession would say get rid of the, you know the root of the issue um, if you will right you know,
1: in their mind what's the what's the quickest way to reduce the number of instances in which this is practiced is it by a consent form is it by banning it outright or is it by Saying, okay, we're not going to do any of that, but we'd really like to be your friend and engage you and talk about this from a health perspective, to hand out pamphlets in the hospital, to have your doctor talk to you. That's what they're betting on, will work best.
0: Right. Now, what about... What We had discussion, I think the last time you were on, we were talking about, and you did a great story on this, the difference between the approach of the state, or I should say other agencies, other health departments outside of New York City versus within New York City. Uh, is there any movement on other, any, any signs that any other health departments are approaching or dealing with this issue? Elsewhere, is this really confined to... I know we talked about Rockland, but what about Orange County, where Curious Joel is, where, where this has to be done by the thousands?
1: No, I'm not too familiar with what's happening up in Curious Joel, um, but in Rockland, uh, as I reported earlier, they had had a similar deal in place. Um, and it had been going uh, well uh, for a couple years, uh, and still is. um But because the population size is just so different with New York, any kind of experiment you have in the city um, is, is orders of magnitude greater than what you have outside the city.
0: Okay, and last question on this topic, Dan, is do you see these hearings becoming somewhat of a spectacle, somewhat of a circus, somewhat of an embarrassment for the de Blasio administration, that you'll have eminent scientists coming in and say, how can you do this as a city? Or on the flip side, do you see religious freedom People or lawyers, I mean, this, the Bloomberg policy was struck down by a court. Uh, Do you see people then going ahead and talking about that this itself is an infringement on religion and religious practice? You know, in a sense that these hearings become an embarrassment uh, or public embarrassment for the de Blasio administration on both sides because of the different sides really fundamentally disagreeing. I
1: think you'll get a little bit of both. Um, it's important to remember that the court didn't strike down the Bloomberg policy uh, entirely. It sent it back to the lower court for a review. So it was never fully decided whether that policy violated uh, freedom of religion, uh, at least not by a court. Um, and I do think you're going to have eminent scientists, epidemiologists, infectious disease specialists write into the Board of Health uh, and say that this you have to do more to stop this practice. The thing that keeps it from being a spectacle is that most eminent scientists write their comment in. You know, you can obviously send your comment into the Board of Health. You don't have to appear. And the fewer people that are there, usually the less spectacle there is. Uh, I expect, just because of the passion with which the Orthodox community feels this issue, that the number of comments in favor of repeal will greatly outweigh the number uh, that oppose repeal. So I think that offers the Blasio administration a little measure of protection, though they will have to answer the claim that there are eminent physicians, uh, preeminent physicians out there who feel they're making a mistake.
0: And that doesn't put enough pressure. I, I assume this board is made up of entirely medical professionals, right? You have to have some sort of, yeah. or it's late. People. are
2: medical,
1: uh, no, they're, they're all medical professionals either, uh, MDs or, or PhDs or um, you know administ- hospital administrators. But again, their rationale, they're not saying that Matita the Pet is safe or that it or that there's no link between Metitsa the Pet and Herpes. What they're saying is the best way to reduce uh the instances of Metitsa the Pet is to engage the community. So that gives them a little bit of a buffer to the argument of you can't do this because it's not safe. They'll they'll position themselves to say, we agree it's not safe. We also want to reduce it, but the consent forms weren't working, so we have to try something else.
0: One other issue for you and I know this is actually I've heard uh, a bunch of chatter uh about this and even amongst our listenership is is kind of what's going on. Uh maybe you could fill the audience in for a second on New York uh doing a medicinal cannabis uh, experiment. Uh we now they're selecting uh firms to go ahead and get engage in uh medicinal marijuana at, in in New York state and now there's a whole issue with the uh with regard to the governor or a, a bill that passed yesterday about emergency uh if you can explain what's what's going on with that is are we on the way sure. to legalization of marijuana in New York state
1: well, we're, we've already legalized medical marijuana in New York State, and obviously the difference is there. You need a, a doctor's prescription, and you need to have one of a set of diseases that medical marijuana can be used for in the state. That law was passed last year, just before the end of the session, in June of 2014, uh, and at the time, the governor said it would take about 18 months to implement that law. That puts you in January of 2016 or this coming January. Uh, and the point we're up to now, firms uh, affirms, uh, uh uh, About three dozen firms have applied for medical marijuana licenses from the state. The state will choose five medical marijuana uh, companies, award them licenses, and each of the five will set up four dispensaries across the state for a total of 20. And they will begin growing and then distributing medical marijuana. Almost immediately after the bill was passed, there were advocates of uh, both children and some people in the state legislature who said 18 months is too long. There are children who are suffering with uh, seizure disorders who could benefit from the drug right away. There ought to be a way to either grant a emergency license to a company or to import the medical marijuana from a different state that had already legalized it. Get this into the hands of suffering children. The governor did not agree. Uh, the governor, uh, that the federal government would not look kindly on that because it would be either importing uh, marijuana across state lines or because it would uh, be awarding one company a license at the expense of all others. And so the governor didn't do anything. The state legislature, as you said earlier this week, passed a law that requires the governor to do that, uh, to ex- find a company that can expedite the process. The practical reality at this point is, A, the governor doesn't have to sign the bill. But even if he did, we're so close to January 2016, you know, only six months away, that the term expedite at this point has lost much of its meaning. So it was mostly a symbolic gesture uh, that probably won't really get medical marijuana into the hands of anyone any sooner than the state had otherwise intended
0: Okay. And, and the last issue on this topic, I'm going to let you go. Is, is this going to be similar to the casinos, right? The, with the casinos last year, the governor or the, I'm sorry, the administration had a, they had a board. They picked three casinos, full gaming casinos. Now they're picking five licenses. This seems to be a New York state thing that we go ahead and award these franchises.
1: I think that's exactly the way to think of it. I think it'll play out uh, exactly like casinos, um, which is sort of how Cuomo likes to operate things. You know, there's a competition, and then he can
0: pick the the winners. Right, but as a, but the casinos had a very open process, a hearing process, right? And the the uh, this this uh, this medicinal marijuana application seems to be pretty opaque. Well,
1: it's it's. Okay, to an extent, but it's also transparent to an extent. The health department has already listed the names of the companies applying. Uh, they promised to release the application. The part that they'll put is these applications are mind-numbingly long and very hard to read through. But they'll be available for public inspection. And then the health department does get to choose somewhat arbitrarily it's, save five, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and you know, you... Presumably there will be some justification for why they chose that, but it will come down to uh health department review.
0: And New York State makes money on this, I assume.
1: Well, it's taxed. So it's t- that's okay. how they're going to make money. It, the medical marijuana is taxed. Some of that goes to the county. Some of that goes to the state. And they also make money on the application. Every applicant uh, had a $10,000 non-refundable uh, application fee. So that's, that's a lot of money. And, uh, the license, the, the five who are awarded the license will have to put down another
0: $200,000. Okay. Uh, Dan Goldberg from Capital New York. Thanks for filling us in on all these healthcare related items. Appreciate you, uh, taking some time out at the end of the session rush and, uh, hope to have you again soon.
1: Thank you. I look forward
0: to it. And this is Spin Class. I want to welcome Christopher Hahn, a highly sought after progressive pundit radio host. Political consultant and attorney based in New York's Long Island. He also has a popular radio show airing on Sunday nights, uh, in New York, Long Island News Radio, as well as in South Florida. Christopher, welcome to Spin Glass.
3: And coming soon to Baltimore. Baltimore, We're excited excellent. about that.
0: Okay, well yeah. that's uh, that's excellent. Particularly for a rummy, it would certainly uh, be Interested in the Baltimore because he thinks nothing happens in Baltimore. But as we know, uh, recently, uh, a lot's been happening. But not to get so hyper-local, Chris, I want to focus a little bit in, uh, on the rollout of one presumed, inevitable coronation nominee, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who is now yeah. jumped into the presidential sweepstakes and – is uh, hope, I guess maybe from her point of view, looking for a cakewalk to the nomination. What do you think of uh, Hillary right now? What do you think it's going to take to dethrone her, if you will? And what are the pitfalls uh, of having a relatively uncontested nomination fight on the Democratic side?
3: I think that uh, Hillary is going to walk to the nomination. I think she's gonna I think she's moved uh significantly to the left uh to uh deal with some of the criticism of her that she's too far to the right, but I don't think she's moved so far to the left that she's gonna be damaged in the general election. I thought her speech uh on Roosevelt Island last week was, was actually very good. One of the better speeches she's given. She's not known for being a great uh tour. She's not her husband, she's not Barack Obama. But she's very smart, very driven, very detailed-oriented, a great manager, and I think she's going to be a great president of the United States. That's for her primary opponents. You know, I, look, I, I have a lot of respect for Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think that he is a true progressive. I agree with much of what he says, not all of what he says. Uh, I think Martin O'Malley was a fantastic uh, governor of Maryland and a fantastic mayor of Baltimore. I think he did a lot of great things for that state. I also think he is a true progressive. That said, I don't think there's been a presidential candidate in recent history that is as prepared to be president of the United States as Hillary Clinton is. And I think that uh, we're going to be all very happy when she is president. And I think that, you know, barring the ascension of a guy like John Kasich in Ohio, I don't think the Republicans have a candidate that can go toe to toe with her on really serious issues, and uh, you know while any Republican who gets the nominee is going to start off with forty or forty five percent of the vote, just as Rick Lazio did here in New York when she first ran for U.S. Senate back in two thousand. Uh, yeah, um, you know I don't see I don't see any of them really challenging her. That's like I said. I have been high on hoping that the Republicans choose a solid contender so we have a real honest debate of the issues. And I think that the guy that can do that, I, I call him Rick Kasich, it's John Kasich, the governor of Ohio. Rick Kasich was the lead singer of the Cars, That's Rick O.
0: Kasich.
3: Alright, <laughs> so, right, so we what... them. <laughs>
0: So I would be doing my job if I didn't push back a little bit on this the rah rah here, and I was kind of hoping that you were gonna go ahead and do it because everybody we have on the show generally, you know, kind of sure. talks about Hillary and the potential knocks on Hillary. Uh, but let's right. just talk. Let's let's. What's the the idea that Bernie Sanders now is polling at 31 percent in New Hampshire? Hillary Clinton is polling at forty-one percent in New Hampshire. Now, I, I think, granted, you actually have to win. It's not good enough to just right. just you know just poll. But does Bernie Sanders have the potential to uh, go the Howard Dean route, the representing the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party to out Democrat Hillary, and Hillary having a no. A, no, okay. Why not? I mean, not you're, at you're, at you're, all. tell us what how well, Democrats see this race. Well, you know, in well, first of
3: all, first of all, Bernie Sanders isn't even a registered Democrat. Bernie Sanders is an independent who is running socialist. for the Democratic nomination, right? He's a socialist, and he's an, an unabashed socialist, and we love him for that. Uh, but you know, look, he's from neighboring Vermont. People know him. It's the same basic media market. Um, uh, he's obviously new and shiny. Remember, most of the people who show up in primaries tend to be activists. Uh, new Hampshire was the state that really put her husband on the map. Um, I think that when all is said and done, remember we're like 19 months away. Well, I guess in, in the case of New Hampshire, we're we're, uh, we're 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 eight months away from anybody casting votes. So uh, you know, I think that it's a long way off. He's new and shiny. Uh, people have been hearing Hillary, 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 Hillary. And now this guy's up there, you know, knocking on doors, going to coffee shops, doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, you know, and she's going to be there as well, and she has been there. And uh, she won New Hampshire against President Obama. So I don't expect her to lose New Hampshire to Bernie Sanders.
0: Okay, now so we've gotten Bernie Sanders out of the way, and we, as you said, she you know she did win New Hampshire, but she lost a lot of other states to the left, the candidate who was to the left of her, meaning Barack Obama, and she was also viewed as inevitable right. in two thousand eight, and she ended up not being so inevitable. But let's what about the issues that a lot on a lot of people's minds? I mean, we'll take them you know from the top. The emails, right? The the constant. Uh, that most pe- that many people, I should say, or actually I'd say the polling actually says that more people than not think that she is less than honest. That's- that's the polling from last week that came out. I think that, you know, that's a- that's a significant knock. Uh, if you- you have, you know, obviously the issue of the email and the email server, the issue of the Clinton Foundation, and the speeches, and the money, how does that- I, I and does that not play? Well, between now and the
3: time she leaves office in 2025, there <laughs> will be an endless streams of of things that Republican activists and conservatives and radio hosts and others uh, throw at her. And the problem is, is that the more they throw at her, the more it all becomes noise. Now, as for whether or not people think she's honest, I submit to you that most people find most politicians dishonest, whether they are or aren't. It's just people's perception of politicians. And I always say that one of my rules of thumb on scandals and corruption is, unless somebody goes to jail, uh, those charges rarely stick. Nobody's going to jail over the email. Um, I think the email story's gone at this point. Uh, and there'll be a hundred other stories between now and the election day, and it'll all become noise. And, and that's what the, you know, what the right wing doesn't really get. I mean, they are feeding this, uh, this endless hunger for scandal in the Democratic Party. But what they're actually doing is, is they're making it so that most Americans see it for what it is, partisan attacks. Uh, and it just becomes noise.
0: Are you at all intrigued by the, by the allegations around her immense uh, – uh, sorry, the, not her immense – the immense fundraising of the Clinton Foundation and the – all that – those billions of dollars flowing into the Clinton Foundation from foreigners, is, is, does that have any – does that have any play or are people already – they give her the benefit of the doubt. So as long as you have the benefit of the doubt – that's well, fine. You know, we can we can handle that. I mean, where would the smoking gun have well, to come from? Well, let me just—I was just saying, you know—and I and I understand the the idea. But where would the smoking gun have to come from on this issue? Is there possible? Oh, can, you,
3: you you need a you need a notarized letter from Hillary Clinton saying, if you donate to the Clinton Foundation, I will give you this contract, which you will never find because it never happened. Not notarized, not other. The Clinton well, of Foundation does great it's not work around honest. the world. But but, you, but they do great work around the world. President George W. Bush has donated to the Clinton Foundation. Countless conservatives, including Roger Ailes and others, have donated to the Clinton Foundation. The Clinton Foundation is a fantastic organization doing great things. Now, of course, Bill Clinton is going to raise money from around the world. He is a fantastic fundraiser and a fantastic politician. And it is what it is. And, again, like I said about the email Mike it is this endless stream of accusations that makes no accusation any good it's like if you you know you have this situation where they're just it's just constantly they're she's going to be constantly bombarded and if they if they even find one that is actually real nobody's going to believe it cuz she has been attacked since 91 and she will be continued to be attacked until 2025 when she's probably put on money as the first woman president of these United States.
0: Okay, are you intrigued, are you bothered by the fact, let, let's just say that her claim of gravitas to be commander-in-chief was her tenure as Secretary of State. But she barely yeah. mentioned that at all in her speech. I mean, almost almost did glossed over it, like it didn't happen. As far as being Secretary of State. I, I would actually say that I think that had she not been Secretary of State, she probably would have gone and uh, be a political has-been. I think uh, Barack Obama really resurrected her as the, you know, as the, as the candidate, as the inevitable candidate. But take that aside, she seems to have been downplaying, particularly in her campaigning, being Secretary of State isn't that a mistake as wanting to be the first woman president and then projecting that stature to not talk about that instead? Talk about, she
3: she made a very big statement about being secretary of state at the beginning of that speech. She said, she, she mentioned president Obama uh, and serving him. She made it very clear. She's not going to run away from president Obama. and That's a big, bold statement. Um, And, and look, elections are about the future, not the past. There aren't too many people that are going to vote in primaries or in the general election that do not know she was Secretary of State. So, I mean, for her to go over her biography, I mean, a lot of these people who are running, we've never heard of. We don't know anything about them. We don't know anything about Ted Cruz. We don't know anything about Marco Rubio. They've got to give their resume. Hillary Clinton is a household name. And almost every voter in this country knows her resume, and they're very familiar with it. So she was talking more about And and really, the purpose of that speech last week was, why do you want to be president, and what are you going to do? And she made it very clear she wants to be president because she wants people to have the endless stream of opportunities that she had to get ahead. Not just one, maybe if you succeed, you're going to do okay here. She wants people to have countless opportunities, as you and I have both had in our careers.
0: So let's switch sides and get a progressive career. view of the uh, of the Republican side, and people yeah. are more focused. I think a lot of the the journalistic world is focused on the Republican side because there are so many candidates and it's so wide open, if you will, it's so exciting, and there's a, there's a lot of energy in that on that side. It is exciting. But, yeah, but let's talk about. We had an, uh, a a. Some entrants this week, some new entrants. One of them, Jeb Bush. Yeah. Uh, that's, in, if you want to say it, Jeb 2.0 to a certain degree. And then, uh, also the Donalds, uh, coming in, which, yes. uh, I want to leave Donald Trump aside for a second, just because I want to talk about the, the, the. Uh,
3: I still want to talk about uh, Donald. No, no, Trump. we'll get yeah. to it in a second, we'll but it.
0: I want to focus on Jeb for a second because, you know, a lot of people out there are saying, okay, Jeb Hillary Clinton Bush, this is the way it's going to be because the Republicans have often Nominated the next person in line, and if you believe he's the establishment guy, and you believe that he you know, is is waiting in the wings to be the nominee, that's been the Republican. He's been the guy with the resume on the Republican side who has gotten it in the right. best. Uh But is but we've professionally, I'm saying you're looking at this as a professional political guy. There have been quite a few missteps for Jeb Bush uh, so far, even though those don't necessarily right. matter as you say. You know, you look forward. But what how do you right. how do you think his rollouts would matter? I thought he gave an excellent speech. Uh yeah, uh, and, yeah. Uh, and I and, I, and, I thought he gave an
3: excellent speech. I thought it was a really good idea going on Jimmy Fallon. He probably should have waited till the end of the week when the Trump uh, buzz died down. Uh <laughs> I think his Spanish is is very impressive. And I I think that there's uh you know, look, I mean I don't count him out. Uh I don't think look Missteps in the campaign, should he have launched earlier, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Nobody's paying attention yet. You know, it, it is just not real. I mean, we're paying attention because we're pundits and we're into this, but the average voter, they're not thinking about the, the New Hampshire primary, even if they live in New Hampshire. They're not thinking about that yet. They will later in the year, uh, but they're not thinking about it yet. So, I mean, I, I think that Jeff Bush is, 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 uh, is, you know, a fine option for the Republicans. I think that Scott Walker, uh, and Marco Rubio, and and if if, uh, John Kasich gets in, you know, I think you're going to have a real race there. You know, there's a lot of jokers in this race and people who, you know, are are taking up space that should probably be, be spent on more serious contenders. Uh, I think that Ben Carson is not a serious contender, but as a pundit, uh, and a comedian, I am very excited to see him on that debate stage. I think that Donald Trump, who we mentioned, I, I mean Donald Trump, is going to win that debate uh, because Donald Trump makes big bold statements, and he is going to come out of that first debate in August as the front runner. I guarantee it. And then two weeks before the Apprentice appear, uh, premieres, he is going to decide not to run for president of the United States. You know, he has been punking uh, the Republican establishment since the 1980, and it's time for them to say. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Trump, can you step aside and let the, let the adults actually run for president? Uh, he had paid actors at his launch yesterday. Um, it is a uh, – it, it's a mockery of the political uh, process. Now, if he actually follows through with it and runs and goes to the distance, then, you know, I'll take that back. But this has happened time and time again with him. This is the first time he actually announced. But I don't think he's actually running for president. And uh, I think that uh, when time comes where he actually has to file, he's not giving up the apprentice to run for president. So that's my feeling. Well,
0: well, that well, one is a money maker, one is a money loser, of course. But now that we're talking right. about him for a second, uh, isn't it absolutely isn't it astounding the idea that the only the top ten in polling are going to make it onto the debate stage? Or be in the eight right. debate in that. So Donald Trump will likely, because of his national name recognition, will probably get a spot there. And a guy, and you've talked about, uh, governor of Ohio, John Kasich, will end up not on that stage because he's not polling high enough. Oh, and, and your former boss, the governor of New York, three-term governor of New York, George Pataki,
3: who has a serious resume, who's serious about governing, who did a good job as governor of the state of New York, who, who has as much claim to the Republican nomination as anybody there, and probably more so than some of the people like Ted Cruz, who's only been in the Senate two years. So, I mean, it, it's a, it, you know, you're going to have Donald Trump and Ben Carson taking up the space there, where they have absolutely no right. To, I mean, they have a right to be there, but they, they have no chance of actually being elected president or winning a nomination.
0: Well, what does this say about our our system, then. I mean, I, I hate to put the commentary, but I, I think we're... I think that I don't think
3: that that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to have a debate with just ten people. I think that the debate's going to actually wind up expanding. Some I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do a debate with ten people. And there's been a lot of talk. Where
0: wait, wait do you get the time?
3: For union. Right. The, the the union leader in, in Concord has said that they're going to do their own debate. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do that. Uh, I don't know how you actually. Um, you get twenty people on a stage, then you never see anything from any of them. I think you're going to have to have like round robin debates somehow, <laughs> you know, where you just mix up the candidates and on different nights have five of them go at it, you know, and and uh, and and then you know just have mix them up and just do a debate for a week. That's my now, feeling. Now I don't know what we're going to do.
0: Now, Chris, does Donald Trump turn the Republican primary at least for the time that he's in it? into the theater of the absurd? Does he make it, or does he make all the other candidates look better?
3: Um, I think he turns it into theater of the absurd, but I don't know that that makes the other candidates look better. Donald Trump, you know, I make fun of him. I don't like his politics. But Donald Trump is brass. He uh, He knows PR better than any of these guys. He's a fantastic self-promoter. Uh, I don't know if he would stand, uh, the, uh, microscope that he'll be under, you know, when people really want to know how much he's worth. Uh, I don't know how he's going to take that. But Donald Trump's going to score. He has done a score in that debate. He's going to attack, he's already attacking all of them. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you'll see Donald Trump on that debate stage and maybe another debate and he'll be a front runner for a good period of time in this, in this election. Mark my words. Not forever, because he will eventually you, say something so offensive that, you know, he can't even show his face for a couple of weeks. Well, but,
0: he's already, he's already, you know, he's already offended quite a few people, uh, out there, even just from his original speech. It's really, uh, oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, calling Mexicans rapists and drug dealers, it was pretty, uh, that was, yeah, uh, that I was mean, really and, something. And how
3: does Jeb Bush, how does a guy like Jeb Bush, who's been married to a, a, a woman who's of Mexican descent, uh, for 25 years or so, how does he sit there and, and and take that. I mean, it is, it is disgusting, uh, some of the things he said on that stage. And, you know, like, and I, I'm waiting for the investigative reporter to go down to Monologo, his estate down in West Palm Beach, where I'm also on the air on 900 a.m., the talk of the Palm Beaches. Uh, I'm true. waiting heard that. for somebody well. to go up, uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody to go down there and, and see who's mowing the lawns there and get their papers. Because I guarantee you, in the, in the construction industry, that he has benefited from the cheap labor coming across this border, and he has turned a blind eye to it. Whether it's him or his subcontractors, he has definitely benefited from it. He, he builds too many things not to.
0: Well, he's got to build a wall, a big wall, because he knows how to build walls. Yes, but, it's going to be a big wall with gold leaf and his name on it. Okay, let's. uh I want to. I want to. I don't want to spend too much time, with Donald Trump. I want to be mindful. Of the time in the show, and keep this a little bit serious, a little bit highbrow. Although yeah. he's got to be so much fodder. I think John Stewart said, you know, this is going to make the last six months of his show uh, the best ever, which is uh, which is you know, good for him. Uh right. Why why do people keep saying that Marco Rubio is the candidate on the Republican side that keeps Clinton and her team up at night?
3: Well, the contrast, you know, I mean, here he is. He's this young, uh, he's a fantastic speaker. Uh, I think he's going to do very well in Iowa. I've met him a couple times. Very engaging. Um, he's uh, He speaks fluent Spanish. He's a Latino. He can attract Latino voters, even though, you know, he's Cuban, and that's a very small portion of the Latino population. Uh, he's from Florida, a swing state, uh, you know, that she needs to win. Uh, yeah, I mean Marco Rubio, you know, is is the contrast. Jeb Bush is not. Uh, you know Scott Walker is not. Marco Rubio is something uh, something different, different than Republicans have ever run, and very different than Hillary. So that is a a major contrast. That if should emerge from the Republican primary, uh, barring you know the you know barring some mistake because he's very inexperienced, which, let's be clear. Uh, you know he's a, he's a tough candidate.
0: Okay If we can focus on one I – as a last uh, last question, so I want to focus for a second on uh, Governor Cuomo. And as we you know the legislative session closes, uh, which has been an absolutely very lots of theater the legislative session in Albany, particularly with the two leaders of each house being arrested uh, indicted yeah. during the during the time of the of the session. So if you think back to January, it's it happened, absolutely upended Albany. And then the governor sneaks out of town during crunch time to essentially become the uh I guess uh for lack of a word, Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive to kind of uh you know, <laughs> spend all his time uh Talking about the escape of two uh, convicts, of two prisoners from a maximum security prison in upstate New York. And I understand the idea of a distraction, but, and trying to distract the public from things that are not happening in Albany. Is, is the sheen kind of off of Andrew Cuomo at this point? I mean, I, I still think Andrew Cuomo is an incredibly skilled politician. I think he, he, in the end, and as I said this last year when people were complaining about them his margin of victory is 50 plus 1, ultimately he's the governor another 4 years. Right. But yeah, is, what do they call a his, guy who
3: wins like that? They call him governor. So,
0: right, exactly. So, but what I'm saying is, is, has he lost his, his skill? In a sense, is he, you know, he's not as he doesn't seem to be able to do the things that he used to do, right? Gay marriage, he was able to do it. He was able to do the safe act. He was able to really, you know, whip and and cajole and get the legislature to do his bidding, and that is not happening right now.
3: Well, uh, look, I mean, the priorities that are, are in front of the legislature right now are not uh, are not these monumental things that he pushed for, right? And they are things that the legislature has been able to work out on their own in the past, and the governor has said. And I take him at his word that should they not move on things like rent control, they're going to stay in Albany until they do. He'll call a special session every day. And I believe that he will do that. So for him to get out of town and, and, and go up to the uh, prison break site, I think that that was exactly what he should be doing. Uh, you know, let the legislature know that's no skin off of his bones. He lives in Albany anyway. So, you know, we'll just keep you there until you do what you're supposed to do. And. And the legislature is, it, I, I believe that they want to go home, and I believe that they are going to act on, on uh, rent control and others, other things uh, that, that need to get done, uh, you know, before they do. Uh, but I don't think that, uh, you know, again, I don't think that it's incumbent on him alone to get that passed. There are other advocates in the state of New York that want to see this passed, and uh, the governor doesn't have to take on every fight by himself, but he has made it clear to them, Stick around, you know, get it done, or stick stick around until you do.
0: Okay, and last question for you, Chris. Uh, why has Bill De Blasio not endorsed Hillary Clinton? Will he, or will he go with Billy uh, with Bernie Sanders?
3: No, he's going to endorse Hillary Clinton. And it'll be very dramatic when he does, right? He will. You know, I, I don't think that this is anything other than political theater that will make his announcement more uh, impactful. You know, he's this liberal icon right now running around the country doing, you know, uh, talking to all of these progressive groups. And for him to just say, yeah, I'm going to endorse this woman who I managed her campaign in 2000, uh, right off the bat, uh, might take a little sheen off of his endorsement. I think if he says, I'm going to think about it and see where her positions are, and then he comes out sometime in late August or early September and endorses her, I think that makes the endorsement that much more impactful. I think that that's the way he probably should be. He's the mayor of the city of New York. It is the second highest profile job in the country. Uh, he has a big responsibility, and I think that uh, him saying he wants to look at the issues is going to make his endorsement, and he will endorse her, mark my words. And she is very well aware of that, too, I would think. He will endorse her, and when he does, it's going to be very impactful.
0: Okay, Chris Hahn, progressive pundit, radio talk show host. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. We'll have you back again as the, uh, to get the progressive viewpoint as the campaign All right. progresses. All right, my man. Thanks a lot. You got it. And this is Spin Class, sponsored by Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com. I'm very pleased to have back on the show Rockland County Majority Leader Aaron Weeder, uh, former assembly candidate and now uh, the leading or one of the leading voices uh, on the East Ramapo School District issue. I know we're going back to that, but it's really an issue that continues to percolate in Albany. Uh, last week we talked about how that had that had passed the assembly, and now it it doesn't look like there is it, enough support for it to pass the state senate. Although, potentially there's a compromise in the works. Aaron, thanks for joining us here and filling us in on what's going on out there.
2: Thank you, Michael, for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure.
0: So tell us what's, tell us about the compromise. Tell us, uh, Senator Carlucci has, uh, of Rockland County has tried your senator has tried to broker a compromise, if you will, between the Senate Republicans. He's a member of the Independent Democratic Conference, not a Republican, uh, between the Republican majority and his Assembly colleagues, correct? And what is that, what is going on, and what is that, uh, you know, what are the dynamics around that compromise?
2: Well, uh, you know, I have read the uh, bills that was passed in the Assembly, I also read, uh, the, uh, bill that, uh, Senator Colucci introduced, uh, on Sunday, I believe, uh, in the Senate. And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, two uh, completely different bills, but both, uh, addressed the same issue, which is the East Rambo School District. Uh, it, you know, the semantics of, of the, uh, bills is, You know, we could could go through uh, four or five pages of of legal talk and and the way laws are written. But uh, the main factor was the the veto power. Uh, The Republicans in the Assembly, and there were uh, quite a few Democrats as well, who uh, had huge issues with uh, the concept of a monitor who can single-handedly uh, veto a democratically elected school board, and it's not just the school board. It already talks about doing that for the local town uh, board in, in the town of Ramapo.
0: Well, yeah, to, to supersede and, the, and the, the the to usurp the power of the Ramapo town board as well.
2: Yes. Uh, uh, originally, when this law was introduced. Uh, in, I believe it was uh, in February. Uh, local activists uh, were already celebrating the fact that this is going to take effect, and the next, uh, um, you know, the, the next uh, battle, if you will, was going to be to have the same type of law take place for the town of Rancho and other elected officials. So this is what I'm trying to uh, convey for your listeners to, to know is that this wasn't just about school districts and, and 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 you know public schools this was about the concept of having democratically elected officials of uh, of any any board have their voice and uh, the people who elected them be silenced and overruled by a uh, bureaucrat that is being put into place for between five to ten years uh, by people in Albany, uh, people who were not elected, by the way. So it wasn't even by other elected officials. This is this is. And some say, well, there have been control boards uh, put into place in the past. Yeah, control boards are totally different than just have a single person be there for five to ten years and just overrule whatever he feels fit. And uh, people locally who who are the adversaries and, and, in my opinion, really don't have the interest of the public schools at heart, they were simply out there to uh, make sure that the, the people who are on the board should not be able to govern. And they were going to do the same thing in the local township for the, for the same reason. It's the people who elected them that they had an issue with.
0: Okay, so, so uh, Aaron, your uh, former president, a... your former president of the board, and from a from a board member's perspective, having a monitor with veto power, what's the purpose of ha- what's the point of having the board still if you if the if you essentially have an appointed official who can make who can set policy all on their own?
2: Yeah, exactly the point, point. and uh, it wasn't limited to just uh, things that he feels that the board has done wrong. It was also for uh, anything he deems, you know, for example, if he feels that the budget put together is the way it should be, he can overrule the board. And it has nothing to do with the legalities of anything. Now, uh, the people who pushed for this uh, bill, 85355, the one that passed in the Assembly, were saying, well, why does the board oppose of having another set of eyes and ears so people will feel comfortable that the trust, the, the trust out there should be restored. And the board and the people who are supporting the board members, uh, currently on the board and, 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 those who are left to them were saying, well, we, don't oppose anyone being there for another set of eyes and ears, but we oppose the veto power. And they were like, well, wow, well, that's, that's not really the main crux of the bill. We really want to have just a the monitor there. Now, Senator Colucci addressed it and he said, look, we're going to get another set of eyes over the uh with uh, very strict uh, oversight. You're talking about uh, reporting, quarterly reports, and auditing, and, and the monitor being at every meeting, the executive sessions. It was like very, very strict oversight, and uh, they have to come up with plans how they can address everything. It's, it's, you know, the academic improvement. Of this, this is this is not a a a, a weak bill as far as. They monitor sure. and oversight. The, the, the only thing that was missing was the veto. Now, those who said that all we want to have is another set of eyes and ears, and all of a sudden now they're like, okay, this bill is, doesn't go far enough. You know, you can't have the cake and eat it. You can't say, well, all we want to have is another set of eyes and ears, and, well, it also has veto power, but that's irrelevant. Don't worry about that. Those, that that's meaningless. Because he's not going to overrule the board, really. All we want to have a set of eyes and ears, and they got the set of eyes and ears, and they're like,
0: no, that's not Not what we want. Not good enough.
2: And, you know... Aaron, let me just... Your time is
0: short. Let me just break in for a second. Are you surprised at the level of attention that this has gotten statewide and nationally... And the degree and the vehemence of the, of the argument and the way, uh, this was actually, apparently, the East Ramaphosa School District was the issue, the deciding issue, uh, for chair of the, the Black and Latino caucus in the, in the state legislature.
2: Well, I, I hope that that's not the case. Uh, and I can't speak for, for whatever took place in a, a caucus uh, as far as their leadership. Uh, this, this, I know better than to just believe everything I read that's in the newspaper or on the blogs or, and on social media. You know, <laughs> things are written about myself where I think to myself, Where did they? Where, where did this come from?" So, uh, yeah, I really can't comment on, on the specifics that you mentioned, but on the overall uh, question, uh, I am surprised, but I'm really not surprised because. The one thing that you could fault the school board, and perhaps by extension the people who supported the board members, is in the public relations arena. They did a terrible job. And you're talking about people who are on the board, it's a volunteer job, they do it because they want to serve the community, and they have a regular job. So you're talking about people who, who, who felt that If all we do is just do the right thing, everything will just play out okay. Well, if you're not going to tell your story, someone else will tell that story, and it might not be the story you you like. It might might not even be the true story, and that's exactly what happened. For years, people who don't send their children to public schools, who don't live in this school district, have been telling a story about East Ralbo that is the furthest... On the truth, assemblywoman Jaffe, on the floor of the assembly, had stated so many—I wouldn't say lies, because you know that's a little bit too harsh—but a lot of inaccuracies. For example, she said board members were invited. That's not true. Uh, the other thing she said: seventy-five percent of the budget goes to private schools. You know, the budget is two hundred and eighteen million dollars. Private schools, they only get like 20 million dollars, 25 million dollars. That's not 75% of the budget. She talked about the school, the, the local, uh, uh, people living in East Ramapo haven't passed budgets and only this year was the only time the budget was passed. That is also an The last two years the budget has passed and previous years. She talked about there were no cuts. In the private schools programs being administered by the, by the, by the school district, that's another inaccuracy. There were many cuts. The 18 non-mandated school days and, and nurses, there were cuts from the private schools. So that is exactly why I am not surprised. Because if you allow people to go on and lie and distort and create uh, this illusion about East Ramapo and how the district is is the worst school district when there is not a single failing school. There's 178 failing schools in the state of New York. Not a single one of them is in East Ramapo. Right. You would think with all this attention that we're the worst school district in the entire state of New York. You know, the graduation. Oh, there, there must, there must yeah. be something.
0: There's no question about that. Aaron, I have to cut you off. We're out of time. I apologize. Uh, we, we actually, you know, we have gone on to this issue extensively. We're going to have to cut it off there. And I appreciate your time and coming on and giving us that important perspective. And this issue is still out there. Who knows what's going to happen, uh, as, as, uh, as the time goes on. But clearly there are people pushing an agenda on this and signaling out this specific school district. And I thank you for having me on the show. Thank you very much, and this is Spin Class, and uh, just uh, closing out, I want to just uh, get to a item that left off last week, which was at the behest of city council uh, speaker, Melissa Mark Bavarito. This New York City Council passed a resolution approved by 41 of 51 council members, okay, eight abstained, I'm sorry, eight voted no and two abstained to call on President Obama to give a pardon to Oscar Lopez Rivera who is a terrorist uh who is a terrorist let me say that again to give clemency to him even though he has uh, on behalf of Puerto Rican independence he has uh he had bombed and killed uh various people uh, back in the 1970s including down in the financial district and then 1982 bombed police headquarters NYPD the uh, police headquarters, and which named three cops who had tried to defuse the explosives. Why the city council took this up? Why 41 members voted for it? I can't – I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't even – come even to the of all the things out there to go ahead and do this. I think it's shameful. It's shameful that the speaker brought this up and pushed it through. Uh I understand uh Puerto Rican heritage and you want to protect, but this man is an unrepentant terrorist, never apologized for what he did, whereas some of his colleagues were uh were pardoned after they, they did uh they did apologize so that's our definitely a noteworthy shame item of the week shame on the new york city set council for having done this and that's it for this week here on spin class thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next week